Good evening. That is hot, right? So you are, you are hearing me. Good. There is a biblical application on the error on my part of advancing that slide for Travis earlier in the song and the fact that in order for the clicker to work properly, it has to be somewhat closely located to the source. Biblical application be drawn from that. So why we are here this evening is to draw closer to the source and to come together to study God's word. So if you would be taking out your Bibles and be turning to Matthew chapter 12 will be one of the texts that we'll be looking at early on in our study. It won't be the main, main form of our text. But Matthew chapter 12 is where we'll draw uh, a thought from here shortly. Good to see everyone here this evening. I want to extend my personal appreciation to all the men that have filled in in, in Doug's absence. Uh, so you guys know who you are, and we're coming to the conclusion of, of uh, him being gone from Polish in the pulpit and, and his vacation, but it's a very good thing to have that uh, we have numerous men that doesn't, doesn't just fall upon one or two to fill in. And, uh, that is to be noted and that appreciation is to be extended to everyone that played a role in that. Before we get to Matthew chapter 12, I reference you to, to Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 tells us, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, and through our patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Not by math, but from a source that I found, there are over 2,930 biblical characters in the Bible. If somebody wants to take the time to refute that, I would challenge you to count them. So let's just go with roughly 3,000 biblical characters that are found in, in the Bible. The man of whom we're going to speak, to speak of this evening and talk about is found in the 32nd book of the Bible that it is named for him. Of the 39 books in the Old Testament, it's the 32nd. 31 of them proceed, 7 follow. It is the 10th book in the total of 17 prophets and the 5th book of the minor prophets. So if you're looking at your table of contents, you've got it narrowed down to what book? Jonah. We're going to study the book of Jonah this evening. And we're not by no means going to do a complete reading of the text, that's something I would encourage you to, uh, to do after this lesson, but maybe a summary, draw a few, few points and illustrations from the book of Jonah, and, and uh, hopefully glean something beneficial for everyone. Jonah has four chapters, to continue with our statistics and our numbers, it has four chapters, 48 verses, depending upon the version, a little over 1,320 words. There's some unique characteristics about Jonah when it's compared to the other minor prophets. <clears throat> Jonah is the only minor prophet of all the minor prophet books where there are miracles that play a role, and an important role in that. Jonah is the only minor prophet that goes to a foreign land and preaches and teaches on that foreign land. He's the only minor prophet, obviously, that preaches to foreign people. 
Jonah is the only minor prophet, or excuse me, the only major Old Testament character that is recorded for us that we know of that started out to take a trip across the Mediterranean Sea. But he's also the only Old Testament character that Jesus likened himself to. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 39. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 39. And he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to them except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly, or excuse me, was, in three, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. So we'll be turning and turning over to the book of Jonah. We'll be drawing uh, several points from, from, from key scriptures throughout uh, the Minor Prophets account. But just a little bit of geography for you, if that's your thing. If it's not, just bear with me. Uh, Jonah was from Gath-Hapur, which obviously if you don't have a map right in front of you, that's close to Nazareth and what would be in biblical times later on, part of Galilee, which would make it part of the northern kingdom, but Jonah wasn't necessarily a prophet to the northern kingdom. Uh, so, it's kind of where, he's, he's in, that, uh, in that part of the Middle East there, and I'll have a map for you here in just a second to kind of give you a little bit better bearings on that. Before we do that, you know, and really kind of how I landed at, at, at teaching and talking about Jonah this evening. So more often than not, Jonah is, a, is, is simply simplified down to a Bible class that we may teach our, our young people. Or a VBS lesson that we like to exaggerate and to make into a, a production, if you will, for, for vacation Bible school. But a true study of Jonah reveals that there are a lot of spiritual lessons that can be found from this book, from this Old Testament book, uh, obviously why we're referencing Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, Old Testament was for our learning. And so really, Jonah is, is four short chapters. It's a very easy read, but it's got a lot of things that are packed into it. And so this, this evening, I want us to consider this in context and by no means is this idea original to me uh, as far as the, the format of, of things when we talk about Jonah as being an individual that was running. Jonah was an individual that was running and all four chapters of Jonah address the fact that Jonah was running. But in each chapter he was doing something a little bit different in the direction and the way that he was running. So in chapter 1 we find, as most of us are very familiar with the story of Jonah, that Jonah was running from God. Jonah was running from God. God had told Jonah to go one way. He told him to go preach to Nineveh. What did Jonah actually do? 
He went the other way. In fact, he went in a direct opposite direction of what he had been commanded. Hopefully this is big enough that everyone can see. But here's a little more geography for you, if you will. Uh, but in the bottom right-hand side by the, you know, this is, this is MapQuest, right, or, Ma or Google Maps. Everybody is familiar with at least one of those two forms. Point A was where he, where he started out at, Gath Happer. He was directed to go to Nineveh, point B, about 500 miles roughly. Several days' journey, but 500 miles. Jonah, though, when he received the commandment from God, went down and went to Joppa, which is just right there under Gathhapper, close to Jerusalem, and got on a, on a boat to go 2,000 miles in the other direction. To Tarshish, or what we might become more uh, familiar with as present-day Spain. That was his destination of where he was intent on going. The direct opposite way in which God had commanded him to go. He was running away from God. In Jonah chapter 1 and verse 3, we find, But Jonah arose to flee from to Tarshish from the presence of of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Interesting point I want us to, 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 to focus on here is he, he found a ship in Joppa. It just so happened that he found a ship. It's worth noting that any time that man wants to get away from the Lord, the devil has a boat waiting for him. The devil has a boat waiting for him. In that day and time, it wasn't a common occurrence to go down to Joppa and every day there would be a ship there ready to go to Tarsus. In fact, it probably wasn't a once a month or maybe even once a six-month time frame that this boat would be available. But it happened that whenever Jonah went down to, to Joppa, he didn't have to wait several weeks, but he was able to catch this ship at a certain point and, and was able to try to escape the presence of the Lord. The devil always have, has a boat ready if you're looking for it. In verse 10, we'll skip through some of, some of most of Jonah, and just make, like I said, make a few reference to, to this. But in verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew, the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah wasn't quiet about what his intention was. He shared it with him. After he paid the fare, after he got on the boat, he told the men, I am escaping or trying to get away 
from the presence of the Lord, and they knew that. Jonah here displayed a very recognizable part of human behavior. One that if we disobey God, we try to hide from God. Adam and Eve did it in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, where it's recorded for us, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Cain, later on in Genesis, just a, few, just a few chapters over, Cain tried to hide the body of his slain brother so that God wouldn't know what had happened to Abel. It didn't work for him. Doesn't, doesn't work, never has worked. In Genesis chapter 4, 8 through 9, now Cain walked, or talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? What Cain did find out was that he was more than his keeper, but he was indeed his brother. Just like these three Old Testament stories, our sins cannot, will not, no matter how hard we try, be hidden from the eyes of God. Also, we cannot run away from God. David knew this when he wrote the Psalms. Turn with me to Psalms 139. Psalms 139, verses 7 through 12. We'll start with verse 7 of Psalms 139. David wrote, Where can I go from your, your spirit? Or where can I flee your presence? If I ascend into the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the outermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me, Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. We cannot escape the presence of God. We cannot run away from God, no matter how hard we try. And we know from other studies of Jonah, going back to that, that, that He'd gone down, he'd gone, got on the boat, and he was going in the opposite direction of what God had commanded him. And maybe in our defense of, of Jonah, we can, in a way, kind of rationalize what might have been going on to, into his mind. Maybe even a justification, if you will, of why he needed to disobey God. Because if you consider where he was sent, Nineveh, and that's the Assyrians... The Assyrians were not nice people. In fact, they were very far from nice people. They were a, a people that liked war. They liked battle. And whenever they had victims and they had people that they captured, they were known to be very cruel. They were known to be a very bloodthirsty people. And the fact that they tortured 
their prisoners. They mutilated their bodies. They inflicted a great deal of pain and was known a lot of accounts, a lot of history accounts for the beheading of their enemies. So the human element of us might ask, could we not blame Jonah for not wanting to go? Yeah. Yeah, I think we could. But if we do that, we miss the point about the spiritual element. The spiritual element when he directly disobeyed God. And the fact that there are results and consequences from disobedience. Jonah disobeyed God. He failed to help others and he endangered the lives of many. Not just the men that were on the ship with him, but the lives that he had opportunity to preach to. And as a result of his disobedience, he ended up in a fish. Some of the studying that I looked at talked about, you know, the physical possibility of whether, whether, how and what fish it might have been. The Bible doesn't tell us that. It was a great fish. He ended up in the belly of a great fish because he disobeyed God. Look with me at verse 17 of, of Jonah chapter 1. After the men had thrown him overboard... He was in the sea. The Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. One thing I find often interesting about the Bible is the fact of how clear and concise and to the point the Bible is. There wasn't a whole lot of description that went into this ordeal. He was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights as a result of the sin where he had disobeyed God. But I want us to consider for just a moment, not to read into more than what the Bible has to say about being in the belly of a fish, but to perhaps use your imagination to what exactly was going on in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. While it may be very simplified that it's, he was there, put yourself in that situation. One account that I'll, that I'll borrow from to kind of recreate this perhaps in your mind of being in the belly of a fish first off kind of like Kirk had mentioned uh, I think last Sunday about turning the lights off I'd have the same thought turn the lights out it's going to be pitch black in the belly of a fish whether there's gills or whether there's a blowhole or whatever type of fish you want to think about it there's not going to be any light it's going to be pitch black and you're going to be sloshing around with gastric juices washing over you that may burn your skin, irritate your eyes, maybe hurt your throat, or the smell. Get hung in your nostrils. Oxygen is going to be scarce because 
the process of oxygen in a fish, either, again, gills or blowhole, is going to be kind of scarce. But Jonah was able to survive, but he was probably gasping for air because on top of the oxygen being scarce, he was in salt water. And it was, the air was probably being saturated with, with the moisture from that salt water. Hopefully you don't get squeamish on me on this part, but if you think about it, there was probably the rancid smell of digested food in the belly. And it was fish. Now, I'm not a fisherman like some of you guys are, but I've been around enough fish to know that after a day or two, they don't smell real pleasant. That's what's going to be in, in the big fish's belly. So much so that it possibly most likely caused him to vomit and to have dry heaves while he was in the in the in in the in the belly in the fish of the belly then think about everything that he touched if the smell didn't get you maybe what the touching of what's going on around in the belly may everything that he touched was slimy and covered with mucus the same mucus that lines your stomach then there's the thought about being catastrophic or claustrophobic. If you don't like being in tight spaces, well, there, even though it was a great fish, there probably wasn't a whole lot of move, uh, room to move around in. Then if you were seasick, let alone when he got thrown off, the, off of the boat, what about with every turn or dive or twist of the great fish and as he was, was doing what fish do in water? He was probably slipping and sliding around in the belly of this great fish. There was no footholds. There was no place to grab hold of. And then the last thought is as he's in the belly of this fish, think about the temperature. He's wet, soaked. The fish is in cold water. It's going to be damp. It's going to be cold. It's going to be clammy as the, 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 the big fish dives into the depths of the sea. That was the consequences of his sin for going and running away from God. He was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This is the situation we find himself, he find, Jonah finds himself in, but in chapter 2, we see him change. Chapter 2, Jonah is a man that is running to God. Instead of running from God, he's running to God. No more running away from God and God's will, but he runs toward God, and he's willing to run towards Nineveh. He changes his mind, he changes his heart, he changes the state of his faithfulness, he changes his direction, and at the conclusion of a prayer that he, he offers in, in chapter 2, we see that he says, I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord, verse 9, chapter 2. I think it's important to point out that Jonah went from running away from God to running to God and that his salvation, the salvation of others, could only be obtained when going in the same direction with God. If you're going in an opposite direction, then God... Salvation cannot be yours. 
in similar fashion of what David did on Wednesday night and Steve did this morning, there's an analogy here with the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, which was both referenced in the previous lessons just recently. But you see the parallel of an individual that was running, that messed up, changed his mind and repented, and returned to his loving father. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 8, it's recorded for us, I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. We see Jonah's repentance at the end of chapter 2 as he is vomited back on dry land. Word choice there is, is somewhat descriptive again in the, in, the, in the context of vomited. You think about the three days and, the, and what that condition might have been like. I'm sure he was glad to see that dry land. I'm sure he was glad that to get out of, of that fish's belly, however it may have come. But what we see in that is God's mercy. And Jonah didn't get what he deserved for disobeying God but he had a second chance. And so that's where we pick up in chapter 3 and see that Jonah was running with God. In chapter 3 and verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He'd already received it once and had already been told once in, in, in chapter 1 to do this, but he received it according to the word of the Lord. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city and a three-day journey in extent. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the, wor to the word of the Lord, and he complied uh, as, as what is recorded for us in verse 2. This time, Jonah decided to obey God's will rather than his own human will. As we read the text, I want us to consider two questions here, two personal questions. Are you running with God? Are you running with God? Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 record for us, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. If you're running with God, you are obeying God. If you are running with God, you are being light instead of darkness. John chapter 1 and or 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another, the blood of Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. And if you're running with God, it involves running the race that is set before us, again from the author in Hebrews, this time in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
when we run with God, we get the results that God has promised. And I think that's important to note as we, as we continue on with our, with our study. When we run with God, we get the results that God has promised. In Jonah chapter 3 and verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Oftentimes in a Bible class, it's been my experience, or in a VBS, that's where we end the story. We completely skip over and leave out chapter 4. Chapter 4 is important. It's important in understanding about running in the directions that we run with God. Because either we've run from God or we've run to God or we're running with God. But what about if we get ahead of God? What about if we get ahead of God? Look with me in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. The Bible says the results of the individuals repenting in Nineveh displeased Jonah, and it angered him. Why? Why? Maybe we see a little bit more into his character of what happened in chapter 1. Or maybe there's other, other things that could be drawn. But he got ahead of God. He put himself ahead of God. He wanted to put himself ahead of God and what God was doing in God's business. Continuing in verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Is he offering instructions to God? Mankind is often incapable and not able to manage and run our own affairs. Can we presume and assume to take over God's business? Jeremiah 10 in chapter, uh, chapter 10 and verse 23, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not man who walks to direct his own thoughts. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. For are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Jonah simply forgot his place in his relationship with God. He got ahead of God. Jonah was quick to pass judgment on Nineveh, determining that in his own mind, what should be the results of the people in Nineveh. 
are we guilty of sometimes doing the same thing? That we pass judgment when it's not our place? Perhaps Jonah had the excuses that we mentioned earlier in his mind. Perhaps there was other things that was in Jonah's heart of, of, of the dis distinction of, of the Assyrians and why he shouldn't have gone to them. But Jonah missed the point yet again. Obedience to God's word is of utmost importance. But when we sometimes obsess on the minute things, we forget and overlook things of greater importance. Make sure that we don't get ahead of God. We conclude this evening. A few thoughts to leave you with. Sin. Sin will take you away from God every time. But in doing so, it will take you farther than you intended to go. Sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay and at the end result will cost you more than you want to pay. So I ask you four questions as, as, as we're about to wrap up. Personally ask yourself, are you running from God? If so, turn around. Or are you running to God? If so, keep going. Good job. If you're running with God, don't stop. Keep going. But if you're running ahead of God, slow down, stop, and get back in the proper position. Because from the book of Jonah, we can learn that whether we're preachers or teachers, we don't need to judge our audience. And don't try to avoid the responsibility that God has placed upon each and every one of us. From the book of Jonah, we've learned that, or we can learn that if, as Christians, we can't be selfish, we can't be narrow-minded, and we can't, can't be focused on exactly our own individual agenda. We need to be concerned for all people, loving all, including the lost, and the sinful, and the wicked. And yes, the book of Jonah has something to learn for sinners. God loves the sinners. God wants us to reach out to those that are in a sinful condition, just like he did with the Assyrians. Because destruction was coming to them, just as it will to sinners today. Good news is he sent Christ. The parallels already been drawn and been made between Jonah and Christ in Matthew chapter 12. He sent Christ and Christ was in the tomb for three days and for three nights and was raised again to be victorious over death and paid the price for our sins so that we would not have to pay them. Today we have the Word of God and the Bible that teaches us and instructs us. We need to listen. We need to study and we need to understand it. Salvation is through Christ and none other and is available to those who will repent and to those who obey. So this evening as we've studied the book of Jonah, not been much said about 
what one must do to be saved. The Bible teaches us that it is necessity to hear, believe, repent, confess, to be baptized for the remission of one's sins and remain faithful. We can help you in studying and understanding those steps more. That's more what the Word of God would say. We'd be happy to do that. Or if you need the prayers of the church in, in your life, there's a struggle or a challenge, or you find yourself running in the wrong direction, you don't have to run, but you can walk down this aisle this evening and we'll, we'll help you with whatever your need may be as we stand together and sing.